Shut up and sit down. Yo, yo, welcome back. Another Muscle in the Hustle podcast. Tony is a wall again. Don't ask. Don't ask any questions where that man ever be. It's a fucking nightmare keeping up with him. Um, but we have a special guest today, a very good friend of mine. Um, I know him as DJ Slim. You might know him as Gary, a.k.a. Mr. Slim's Kitchen. Gary Michael Downey, what is happening? I'm annoyed. I thought this was, you promised me that this was going to be me and Tony taking the piss out of you for an hour. Well, I promised you it was going to be me and you taking the piss out of Tony. <laughs> but uh, no, Tony is, uh, I don't know where Tony is. I don't even, he's, yeah, the man's head's away. He's an influencer now. He's, he's an influencer. He's an influencer. He's living. He came back from Dubai and he just, you know what? He forgets the small people. He just fucking, I don't know. I just, I let him just do his wee things, but he always comes back to me. He's like a, he's like a cold. Always comes back. How do you know, Tony? Uh, he got me in good shape once. <laughs> I've never met, I've never met the man in person. The joys of online coaching. No I just never met him. We meant to meet at the MMA cage warriors or clan wars once and he was the door side of the cage I was the side of the cage and the guy wouldn't let us walk around the whole perimeter in one of the places so then we went to meet outside and then fucking I got a call I had to fucking go because uh, a friend of ours a mutual do friend of ours eh? do you know who he, is he really who he says he is oh yeah 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 five foot two no. dwarf bodybuilder that's him swear to god only is one only is one Fair, fair. Dwarf bodybuilder about, I think. And Yuri expects it. I know. I, I, I know. Oh, I know. He's not from Yuri, is he? Oh, he is, I. Is no, fuck's sake. Great, okay. I'll say no more. Yeah. No comment on Yuri. So, what's been happening? Well, no, first of all, tell tell the people something about, about you. You know, because your origin story for me is very, it's very different from a guy who, you know, you, you, hospitality was never, probably was never in your plans, really, at the start. Um, because you know you've you've done different things and you've been successful in different things, and then, but sure, I'll let you tell it. You've seen an avenue and then totally exploded in it. I've done other things and haven't been so successful at them too. Um, so I've done a lot of podcasts recently, and I'm really fed up hearing myself. Um, the gist of it is uh, really quickly didn't like school. Was never for me. Uh, whenever I was supposed to be doing my GCSEs, I done the four ones that I was legally required to do, or my parents were legally made to require me to. Um, English, math, science, English, math, science—I can't even remember. Um, English, math, science, and geography, maybe. Um, but failed them. Got got feed F E E D, not in that order. But um, exams were never for me. Um, school could just never. I am a cliche now talking back and going, oh, you know, I, I, I give people advice to stay in school, you know, work harder. It's because of lessons I've learned in business that um, a lot of my stuff's now had to be self-taught, which should, I should have learned in school. Um, hated school. It was never for me. Um, just never really fitted in. Had friends in school, but never really fitted into a group to the point where I actually enjoyed going to school. I don't know some people did enjoy going to school. Um, so whenever I was doing my exams, was working with my brother as an apprentice, uh, kind of alarm engineer. Worked with him, and for various reasons, um, just uh, me and him didn't work out. So I ended up going working in a cafe with my then uh, girlfriend. We worked in a cafe. She was my boss, um, and I worked in there for a few years. And then that's how I got into cooking. Uh, caught the chef smoking weed out the back and basically sat them. Um, and then the operations manager came in and was like, "Right, okay, who's going to cook?" And I says, they're soup and paninis, like it doesn't look the most difficult thing in the world. So I ended up in the kitchen for a handful of months in cooking. And that was in Cafe Paul Rankin in Belfast. Um, fast forward over and dawn, I ended up managing uh, one of the units. Um, and then that company went downhill, his whole thing. He ended up restructuring so yeah. done all sorts of things before the company wound up. Um, I was out in the van with him for a time and doing different bits and pieces of operations, which helped me learn a lot. Um, so whenever that all kind of disappeared, all the while all this was going on, I was working in 
the hotel after school, local hotel, finishing at four o'clock, finished at school, getting off the bus at quarter past four on a Friday. I've been in the hotel working for five o'clock and I absolutely loved it. I loved making money. So this was me at 16 years of age. All my mates were interested in uh, even getting their driving license, getting out, drinking, birds, everything else. I didn't. I just found money and was like, this is class. Look, look yeah. at this. Um, and I was making a weekly wage working basically on Friday, Saturday, Sunday in the local hotel. Wasn't caring about basically slept in school on a Monday morning. Um, so I had that and I had that as a bit of background. But whenever things didn't work out with a cafe, um, I went back into the, the family business, which was Alarms and CCTV. Went and worked for a firm in Belfast for four or five years. Um, and then, as you know, working in the background, well, you know me, so you know all this isn't nonsense because people will be listening to this going, where does this man get the hours in the day? Yeah. Uh, all the while I was DJing. So I was DJing four or five nights a week in clubs and I had to weigh it up. I was working a job, getting about 350 quid a week as a supposed engineer and went to the Mrs. Right Angle, leave, this isn't worth my while. So they gave me more money, upgraded the car, done a few different bits and pieces, worked for them for a while. And, that satisfied me for about six months and then I was like this still doesn't make sense like I'm I can make a night what I'm getting uh, a week and this taking up you know 40 45 hours of my week so I ended up leaving that and uh, instead of just taking daytimes off and working the nighttime and being content uh, I still filled those 40 hours a week basically what I done was I ended up uh, as a result going out of my own self-employed because I was kind of like people knew I was in the industry, so I went out and done an alarm for one person, and then it went on to somebody else and somebody else. And I ended up building that business up to we had ten or twelve employees at the time, um, engineers doing it. We got our uh, NSI approval, NACOS, which is like our accreditation things like yeah. that. And for me, not being academic, that was a sort of a massive personal achievement because there's a lot of kind of I put it all on myself, but there's a lot of paperwork and a lot of bureaucracy with getting something like that. So. Done all that, um, and then I ended up, I wanted to go down the road of, fast forward a lot of years, I wanted to go down the road of opening something, um, i.e. Slims, and I took a couple of years off the day job, I gave the business to my younger brother, he had invested a few years before, so I gave him my shares and I got out of it, Yeah, and I took about 18 months, two years, just kind of planning, researching the, the whole thing for Slims. I was sitting on the fence whether or not to do it. And I remember that. I, I had a I had a friend walk into my kitchen <laughs> and my kitchen was like something belonging to a serial killer. I had newspaper clippings all over the walls. I had uh, menus from different cafes around the world. Not all necessarily healthy, just all sorts of different things all over the place. And Sega Alley too. Don't forget the yeah, Sega Alley. What do you say? Don't forget the Sega Alley. The Sega Rally machine in the kitchen. That was uh, at the time young, uh, young, free and single with a Sega Rally machine in the kitchen, and um, I had a lot of time to kind of had a good income from DJing, and I had a lot of time to to sort of research things in the background. So I had the whole kitchen basically done like something out of a serial killer's house or a detective searching for a serial killer. I had a mate walk into the house who says to me, "You need to do this, and if you don't do it now, I'm going to do it." Uh, and the same fellow would have done it. Yeah. So. <laughs> he was um, surely. Well, he was my business partner for about fifteen months. Um, uh, so I started off. I started off on that journey doing that myself. And a friend of mine then was uh, him and his brothers were then. Uh, they then came to me and was like, "Right, okay, look, we'll fund this. We want in on this." So it was split fifty fifty, and then that lasted about three weeks in the opening, and then that all fell out. And fast forward now, we're still very good mates, but I own the business and. They yeah. Doing their own thing. That was uh I remember I remember when because people doesn't know, Gary gave me my first gig in Belfast. Um for years and years I could never bring in the Belfast. Maybe come up and ask for an autograph one night. <laughs> I don't even remember who he met, probably through Maddie, is it? Maybe. So Gary Tuesday night I was a Tuesday night in Rain. Uh well, exactly. Yeah, um, and then you give me my first gig in Twenty One Social during uh, during the flag protests. <laughs> um, probably, probably, probably because I couldn't be arsed leaving the house. There was something. There was definitely something. Um, I remember up in VIP, and you were like, "Just don't listen to anybody because they're uh, they're mm. fucking slammers." Um, but I remember when you were doing the research and development for Slims, and around that time, um. 
as you said, you know, you were DJing five, you're probably DJing as many nights a week as as people you wanted to DJ. You were the, the I was working six nights. The only night I took off was a Wednesday, and I kept the Wednesday to go to Funkarama. Yeah, and then we would have been out and about back in the day, DW gym, cinema, fucking all the time. And you, we always said the same thing. It was hard to get somewhere to eat that was like even half healthy. You know, it's easy in Belfast to get somewhere to eat that was always like, uh, you know, you can get anything to eat in Belfast, but like there was always the go-tos, the Wagamamas or the the Nando's or whatever. And then I remember when you're researching development, you had this idea and that idea started like something really small. And then, as you said, you just kept looking at it, going back to it, looking oh, yeah. at it. And then it spawned like it was. And I think actually when you first opened yeah, Slims. There's a, there's a Sorry, no, you brought up there. You you said whenever I first opened Slims, then you broke up there. Sorry, maybe you go again. I just think when you, uh, when you first opened Slims, the idea that you had was almost one of the very first ideas. You know, you changed your ideas loads of times. But when you opened, it was nearly like back to your very first kind of, this is what Belfast needs. Yeah, so there's a couple of things that you touched on. Um, there was a need, there was a wee place in the Lisburn Road called Rolo Polo, which um, Ruth that owned it became a friend of mine. Um, and it was rotisserie chicken, rice, and she'd done sushi and stuff. And she, it being healthy was kind of a byproduct. She just wanted to open a roast chicken place. And to be honest with you, I loved it and I still do to this day. And it, the business just didn't work for her. And I would absolutely love to do something similar myself because uh, Rolo although for me it was class. Um, but it was a fortune. Like you were getting them paying 11, 12 quid for chicken and rice. And I still to this day don't think people would pay the price that uh, that she was charging. Um, I ended up actually taking on, she closed and I ended up taking on uh, her head chef. He was one of the guys that came and opened the shop for me. But to be honest with you, the with Slims, I done nothing, I done nothing new except how I packaged it. Um, and I don't ever claim to have done anything new. Um, there isn't a restaurant in the world that won't cook the steak and vegetables. There's not a restaurant that, well, obviously vegan, etc. But you get what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Um, there isn't a rest. There, there isn't a restaurant that won't cook you. <clears throat> pardon me, an egg white omelet. But what I had realised was like. Uh, we were going out, and as you say, like we were training cinema, everything else, looking something healthy. And I was out during the day working at the time in the van or whatever. If I went into a cafe that's used to serving, you know, a greasy spoon serving sauces and sodas, and asked them for an egg white omelet, they they had all the tools and the capability to do it. I wasn't asking them to cook it anyway. Different thing, like I'm all about the whole eggs at the minute anyway. Like, but just at the time, to give you an example. Um, you know, it's something I was getting into and I knew they had the ingredients to do. I could drop the yolks out and they could keep the calories down. And uh, but people would look at you like literally you were from another planet speaking a different language. And <clears throat> what I did on Muslims was, all I did on Muslims was, I just combined all those different wee things, all the different elements. You know, you could go into a gym and get a protein shake. You'd go into a restaurant and get steak and vegetables. You'd go into a cafe and get an egg white omelet. But there was nowhere doing all of those things collectively. Yeah. And as you, as you say, with what we've done with Slims, Whenever I opened it, the idea was that it was to be a it was a coffee shop that served food, and that's what it was. And now it's more of a restaurant. Like I mean, we we sell next to no coffee, coffee and slims whatsoever. Um, we do sell coffee, but it's not uh, it's not a figure that I look at regularly to, to see how much we're doing. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's it's it became much much more about the food. Now we can talk later on about slims and where it's going to go as a direction and where I think it needs to go. But um, there's been tons of people popped up and tried to copy it exactly as it is. Oh, wow. In my, I but in my in my understanding of why it has never worked is because nobody truly understands what it is we're doing. They, they look at it from the, the inside out, they come down to Belfast, they go once or twice, you know, and they go, right, that's dead easy. I have a chef, it's better than that. I can replicate that. I can do that. I can do this. Yeah. And they don't truly understand the concept. They don't understand what we're offering. And they try and, they try and copy all the fluff on the top. And they try and copy the image. They try and copy the brand. They try and copy all those things. And they think they're all the reasons that it works, but they, they don't actually truly get why it works. Um, and that's why I don't believe we've been successful. Um, yeah. Why I believe that we've staved off, you know, quite a lot of competition. Oh, big time! Even, even before you had launched 
Like you'll remember the buzz. Like people remember the buzz. I I've never even since that there's never been that same buzz of a restaurant to open in Belfast or a thing that wasn't even as you said wasn't even a restaurant. Nobody knew really what it was, but you're you hadn't even give details out on your Facebook page because I think you launched via Facebook at the time and it was just absolute fucking crazy. Like it's never there's never been anything like it in my opinion. Like it's just. You 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 were part of the scene in Belfast. You're well known. It's yeah. no well known fact. Me and Gareth always spoke about it. Walking through Belfast was a nightmare with you. It was a fucking nightmare because every yeah. two steps someone would stop you. Gareth, how's it going? What's the crack? Because everybody 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 loves you. And then when you when this restaurant was open, everybody was just like, even though they didn't know what the what it was about, they were buying into you as a person and going, whatever he touches, going to be good. And I just remember the buzz about that place opening was it was all anybody was talking about. People were driving past that on the Lisburn Road and slowing down like fuck and looking over trying to trying to suss out what it was going on. Yeah, I mean, we we played into that then. I want to sort of go back first and foremost. I definitely have a few uh, if you want to call them haters, but um, certainly not everybody loves me. Um, but a few people cheer on the sidelines to see me fail, but. No, in terms of that, there was, like I had a certain amount of popularity from DJ and I was well enough known in around town and, and things like that. There was a lot of people knew me and there was a lot of very different people knew me. And yeah. a lot of that came through DJ and I was DJ at everything from, I was DJ at three different types of student nights and there's three different types of students. You've got your, you've got your Mickey Quinns, you've got your Culties who want to go out and get drunk as cheap as they can, listen to cheesy dance tunes and have the best night of their life and wake up and forgot whatever happened the next morning. Then on a Thursday night, whenever I was DJing and rain, I'm sure posh sort of want to be Belfast students, you know, uh. where it was more like a Saturday night out, you know, it, there's differences in the customers that were going out each night. So like, I, I DJed across nights and I had a persona that I was able to, even with what I was doing with DJing, um, I was able to play to different crowds and different audiences. You know, I could be playing in Cafe Vaudeville on a Saturday night to, you know, there's a lot of multi-millionaires drinking in, in Cafe Vaudeville, a lot of used car salesmen too, but um, a lot of, it was, the, it was the in spot to be uh, yeah. whenever I was there. But then fast forward to a Sunday night, whenever it was still milk, and as, as it was fading out as milk before it became rain, and I was playing five hours of techno. Um, so I knew a lot of different people, whereas you see a lot of DJs now, and they're known for one particular thing or one yeah. particular skill set, and they're a trance DJ, and they're a trance following and blah, blah, blah. I just had a lot of people... Uh, that I knew, whether or not they liked me, but a lot of people that I knew and a lot of contacts. And then I had contacts from my day business, etc. And all of that kind of worked really well. But with Open Slims, and as you were saying there, people didn't even really know what it was. Whenever I was opening it, I didn't know exactly what it was going to be. Yeah. Um, but we played into that mistake of it. And I mean, one of the things was I spent, I would say... Now, this is all pre-gym short, pre and all that kind of stuff. we done the Slim's hoodies, and I had people stop me in the street asking me for the hoodies. Now, yeah. this is six months before we opened. Nobody knew what this place was. You could tell by the name, obviously, called the Slim's Healthy Kitchen. Nobody knew what Slim's Healthy Kitchen was, what it done. Yeah. Um, we had the rebranded Mini Cooper, and I was going about out of my own oh, Fuck, I made that. As I could afford it every week, I was getting 20 or 30 hoodies going, buying them, getting them uh, branded up and dishing them out. And there was people who I'd never met, never known, never whatever. And that was part of the build up and how we did it. Yeah. And the hoodies became a bit of a, I don't even think, it certainly wasn't the design looking back at them. Um, there's still a few I'm not going to be done. Oh, I've, I've still got one on my house in Oma. <laughs> Um, but there is on it. There was a bit of a people wanted the own one because people wanted to know what it was, and people wanted to, yeah, you know, people that had no interest in health, fitness, training, anything else. People it's just wanted to know what it was. The FOMO, the merch, up. you know, you did it as well, really well. Remember with your stickers back in the day for your TJ? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You still go to clubs in Belfast, and that fucking metallic sticker is stuck to DJ boxes and doors and fucking. Where was it out? In Rain, the the office in Rain, there's still a sticker on the door. Uh, it was me every time I went up and uh, got my wages, I left my mark. <laughs> um, but, uh, you yeah, know, I mean, that's something at the time I never really knew. 
Like, I mean, I have no experience or no qualifications in marketing or branding, or but I know what I like and I know what works. And then I guess the, the DJM thing was always like, even whenever I was DJing, I created like a, a wee cartoon, a character myself. It's actually, it's still my like Apple login profile or something. And I loved it. I had like this wee Slims world. I created a personal brand before I even knew what a, what a personal yeah. brand was. Yeah. Um, and then now that's kind of evolved out and I, I've realized that it's one of my strong points and uh, with the team I have around me and Kate and everybody else, it's we're able to maximize that and roll it out. Yeah. It's uh, even like you had an app. Like who, even though most DJs still don't have a fucking app. Yeah. And you, you had, you knew that, uh, like you just probably went, you know, that's where everything is going. Websites are great. Yeah. But if you have your own app, you're in someone's pocket at all times. No, you can send them push notifications. Yeah, see, I remember back, I was DJing. My first kind of big DJ gig was in the elephant room in Belfast. And I'd done weddings and done a lot of stuff before that. And I was, I was DJing mobile discos. And then I had a guy, I'd done a New Year's Eve party in the Welly Park Hotel. And uh, it was like a 70s themed disco or something. And then I had this old boy who was a regular in the hotel come to me after. I was like, I want you to come and DJ for me down in this hotel, whatever. And uh, I want you to come down and see it. And I went down and see it. And to me, it was heaven. Like, with boys just banging out dance music. So I went down like three or four nights later after the New Year's Eve. And it was like, it was the first Saturday in January. So it was a bit quiet. But I was like, this is unbelievable. You know, full blown nightclub. Cookstown. For the first time. No, in Belfast. Oh, right, 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 right. And uh, it was the old Paradise Lost underneath Europa. And I had a guy who oh, asked me to DJ on it. And to me, this blew my mind. So what happened was I'd never done DJ dance music. Right? I couldn't mix two records. I'd never done it. Like, I was a mobile DJ. Yeah. Um, always wanted to play dance music, but had never went as far as to look at the right, okay, how do you actually mix two records together? So I ended up with Saturday Night Residency in Belfast. And the reason I got that was... He seen me going from starting playing like a seventies theme on the uh, on the New Year's Eve because that's what it was to the Saturday previous. He had seen me playing in the bar and I was playing like a basically church stuff and dance stuff and whatever else. And he seen two completely different people in one. And it was an old guy, a guy called Jim Gallagher, um, who really gave me my first start. And uh, Jim turned out to be a really good friend. But the reason Jim, I didn't know at the time why he gave me my shot, but the reason Jim gave me my shot was. Within five days of each other, he seen me as one person being two completely different people, playing two completely different crowds. It was actually the same venue, but just two completely different music styles and everything else. And there wasn't a single bit of crossover between the two. Yeah. And his problem was that every DJ that he brought in, they were playing, he couldn't articulate. They were playing dance music, but they were playing sort of, at the time, it was like heavy underground trance and whatever else. Yeah. And, the marketing didn't line up with what they were doing and he was taking advice off the DJs of what, he should, what they should have been playing and who they should have been marketing and who they should have been letting in and the club whenever he took it over had a, a real bad history of um, drugs and <laughs> it was a very successful like underground kind of dance club but then they were trying to he at the time didn't know he ran country nights and different things but what he was looking to do was he was looking to turn it into a commercial nightclub and yeah. he came to me and I was happy to play commercial dance and as I said at the time, I couldn't mix two records together. Um, so I just started playing commercial dance and I had obviously all the wee trance heads up going, hey, you can't mix, you can't do this, you can't do anything. But basically I went in for, it was about two or three months and then he came to me and was like, right, there's not enough change in here, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no, well, all you've done is you've threw the DJs out that you had and you're still advertising it the same way. I was like, and I had no experience in nightclubs. I, I was like, I think we need to tell people. I think we need to tell people it's different. So yeah, we launched it, called it Playpen, called it Playpen Saturdays. And that was the first time I'd ever really had a go at marketing something. And what I'd done was I went out and I found the customers that I thought would like to know what we were doing. I physically went out and found them myself. So we went to, basically we filled it with like all the mechanics from McNews and Boucher Road. And uh, it was a nightclub basically between Glengall Street and the edge of Sandy Road. Yeah. I knew I knew from the very start it was never gonna be your it was never gonna be your desired, you know, early yeah. night crowd that everybody wanted. So I sat down with him and I was like, look, we need to sit down and look at who we're gonna get here. And basically what we ended up doing was we went for decent working class people. People that wanted a night out on a Saturday night, didn't want to take drugs and wanted to listen to dance music, wanted to get their best gear on, wanted to go out and pen a load of WKD. There's a funny story with the WKD, the amount of it they used to actually have to bring it in and pal. Was that much of the stuff being drank? <laughs> um, so 
basically it was a for working class people, people who worked really hard all week, but still wanted to be able to go to the NA club, get into the VIP area, you know, buy a bottle of champagne. There's a guy who came down every Saturday night, uh, a guy called Tooth, that uh, used to run a car wash up in the West, and he came in and bought all the boys at work from him and all the champagne on Saturday night, and for them it was brilliant. And we ended up basically, we filled that place every Saturday Saturday night, about 1,100 people, no guests, DJs, no nothing, and uh, that was my first kind of step in the, in the DJ and in the club, and it was class. I don't even know how we get on the point of talking about that. But, <laughs> but that's your, that's, a lot of people, because, you know, you've you've finished, well, you've, you've for now, you've packed up the DJ, and I still have hopes that you, there's a there's a reunion coming, there's a big gig coming out of you soon. Um, a lot of people, especially listeners to our podcast, probably, some of them probably do remember, because they would have been students in Belfast, you know, seven, eight, nine years ago, but they probably haven't linked the two together. You know, they or they haven't realized, especially. I think I I first the first time I realized the big buzz around your DJ was that night in Sense where you played, and you would have swear it was fucking Tiesto. That was some crack. All I was seeing for days, and this is coming from, you know from the proverbial king of throne DJ in there. And I was like, who the fuck is this boy? All this shit, all these pictures, people had fucking, I don't know, I don't know, they fucking had wee, like, not stickers, they had wee small posters and different slogans and stuff. And the buzz about it was was massive. And I remember thinking, who, the? and I remember having to look into it and then Matty McAllister was like, oh, that's my mate, that's Gary. And I was like, right, fuck, I have to meet this boy. It's fucking my sense was some crack. I yeah. only played sense once, uh, but it was some crack. Um, that was <laughs> that was a, that was typical of sense. Like when you <laughs> when you have, I don't know if it was your choice or they're just pure judgment, no, but it was theirs. Yeah, fucking. I've there's never been that buzz in a club for a local DJ I've ever seen. No. See, see, to be honest with you, at the time it was like the time of me playing Sands was just sheer and utter madness. Like, we, I think it was four or five buses went up from Belfast, um, maybe a couple more. Made of mine was running buses at the time, and they, they'd done a like a piss stop for people to stop and get a, a drink and whatever else doing the way up the road, and everybody drinking on the buses and everything else. And I ended up getting into then they petrol station and bought uh bought everybody kinder eggs don't ask me why i bought everybody kinder eggs but it was like great but i literally bought everybody in every bus of kinder egg and we bought jägermeister and red bull and we wouldn't let the bus leave this is me who doesn't drink wouldn't let everybody wouldn't let a bus leave until everybody had done a shot of jäger and red bull it was just there was just such a buzz about it i don't know why but went on to sense and i remember playing uh I remember getting told off for I started. It was a real buzz for me starting. I had a cast on my arm. I broke my hand or I broke my wrist at the time. Because I remember the photograph of me standing on top of the AJ box. I remember the promoter at the time coming in and telling me I had started too hard and I needed to calm down. Like the place was literally going fucking boogaloo. Like yeah. and I remember I remember him coming down and telling me I needed to calm it down. So I played uh I can, rem- I can remember the tune. I can't remember the the remix. You'll remember it now in a second. I remember him telling me I needed to calm it down. So me taking the fucking piss out of him. This is the promoter, the man paying my wages. I put on Rock the Boat. And the whole fucking nightclub uh, basically sat down to <laughs> Rock the Boat. And, uh, but it was the, is it Kissy Sunshine or Kissy? Salad. Uh, kissy Sellout. It was a Kissy Sellout remix. Yeah. So he fucking, I was taking the piss out of him, put on Rock the Boat. Everybody's sitting on the ground doing Rock the Boat. Fucking he looks over at me and goes, Thanks. See, you know, this is what people want. <laughs> and, uh, and then ne- next thing I stand up on top of the deck, it was a fucking Kissy Sellout remix. And then I'm pure fucking bedlam. Um, I was so cracked. Maybe some crack, but now their decision never made it back. Uh, didn't really give a shit like no. maybe taking a night off in Belfast to go back and play somewhere but yeah you know, um, DJ was good fun it's really funny now because I would turn around and say something to somebody and they kind of look at me as in you know what makes you an authority on that and I'd go I DJed for years and they're like you DJed uh, even staff that work for me now and stuff like that they just don't link them and they don't know them and I feel like an eye lad going I used to DJ back in my day out of it five years now back in my day out of it five years um hadn't touched a set of decks in five years. I borrowed yours then during the first lockdown last year for coffee shop. I owned, 
I started playing tunes off the Instagram on it for a bit on Saturday morning, but I'd done three or four of them, and then I was like, no, nah, this is becoming a bit laborious. We'll stop that again. Um, <laughs> I would love to go back. To be honest with you, I keep getting in the I keep telling myself I should have more time. And one thing, one regret that I always have is that I never basically get sitting down on property and producing music. I always dip my toe into it, but never really done it. Yeah. Now with the extra time at home and everything the way it is, I'm like, oh, I really wish I could sit down. I would love to just... I suppose anybody would that's in the music. I would love to just basically knock out an absolute belter of a, a tune. Nobody knows me. Do it from the house. Make an absolute belter of a tune, and then just make a comeback to DJ like that. But to be honest with you, I don't have the attention span for it. Is the truth? So I don't. Do it. Uh, it's it's if you think about it, you know where you know where are you going to get the time? You're the busiest man that I know. You know, and you're just you're you just keep getting busier. Like we talk about. Slims was the was the first point, but there's been so much since Slims. You no, know, Slims is Slims is the starting point, and now. So, where 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 was next after Slims? So Slims, to give you the quick story, Slims because Slims hasn't always been such a massive success. I built Slims up to where I had nine sites, and the shortened down version of it is I have an offer of four point seven million quid for thirty five percent of the business from a an equity firm in London. Um, they were buying 35% of the business off me and funded a rollout for me to do 25 stores UK-wide. And then the plan was that I would automatically jump, go on a salary at 250k a year. would have got about 2 million out of the deal. The other rest of the money was being put in then to fund the rollout. Um, and then after, so it was a five-year rollout plan to get the 25 stores. After the 25 stores, the plan was then to, to sell and there was a sale price based on the performance that we were doing at the time. There was an estimated sale price of 14 or 15 million. Um, so I would have done ridiculously well out of it. Spent two years on that project and let go of quality. The, I learned an awful lot, an awful lot of lessons and a lot about business, even in the time leading up to that before it went wrong. But they were still willing to invest. And in the February, it was February 2016 or February 2015, I can't remember which year it was, but um, it would have been February 2016. Um, I told them, sorry, October 2016, uh, I told them the deal was off the table and I couldn't carry on because my own accountant came to me and basically said, this is going to end up a very bad. Um, I'd lost control of the ship. And yeah. then in the February, so four or five months later, I ended up having to liquidate the company, restructure it, um, lost pretty much everything. Um, we went from nine stores and a couple of hundred employees to um, basically back to two stores. I what turned out now to be a loan. I got money from a, a then angel investor to help me save the business or save the two stores that I had. That person then bought in and kept half the business. Um, they were only involved in the business for, I think, about six, nine months had no input into it whatsoever. And then basically it came to the appointment of Bryce sat down talking to me again about right, okay, I've read that storm out. I'm gonna start sort of going again here. And they decided that it wasn't for them and just basically said to me that if they if it was in a position to pay them the money back, to take the money back, um, which they did. So I, I got a good I don't think they ever really wanted to invest in business. I got through a bit of a lifeline there. Yeah. Um, it, it let me maintain Lisburn Road and Belmont Road. And um, I was then able to take back control of the company. Um, from there, we had those two stores. I sold the franchise to the boys in Macrofelt, um, which has been another learning lesson, or life lesson, learning lesson. Um, we're now in the third year of it. Um, and then from there, I opened um, just over a video two months ago. I opened Output on the Lisbon Road, which is speciality coffee. And um, brunch the reason that I fast forward the output is there's been a few things in between that haven't worked I tried to open a pizza place that I put about 250 grand into that uh, um, the, the losses are shown on company's house this year so anybody that's an interest in creep in my company's house uh, fuck, I'm director of a ton of companies but there's uh, the losses are finally put down for it and I think it was about 250k lost in it um, and the mental thing is it should have worked yeah and it was you, good what do you think? It was very good. Like, and when I tried it, I I enjoyed it. I know here it was like it, it, the problem was I had spent everything was more expensive. The rent was more expensive. The unit was bigger than it ever was. Blah blah. It was a former slim site. Yeah, 
And I truly hand on heart believe that I had got it right and I got the recipe right. I spent about £40,000 putting a new bar in three weeks before I closed it. And the reason I'd done that was I was listening to a fucking a podcast of all things at the time. And it was a, it was a guy called Dan Pena and it was turning the fucking key. If it's not working, you basically set your goal and if it doesn't work, just fucking turn the key because if you don't, you're going to keep throwing more bad money after bad. Yeah. And I had literally, I gave it my all. Now, the decisions that I made in spending that money just before I closed it were absolutely the right decisions. The, to me, the reason the business didn't uh, didn't succeed was I should have spent the money. I think we gave it a run for about 18 months and I should have spent the money a year earlier. And if I had spent the money a year earlier, I'd say the business, I don't know what way it would have been with COVID, but pre the COVID, the business still would have been there. Yeah. And it would have been doing ridiculously well. And I know that now because Domino's is next door to it. So uh, yeah. It definitely would have fucking worked. Um, but I absolutely do believe that I got that. I always knew what I needed to do and I just couldn't commit to spending the money on it. Yeah. And I should have just spent the money and went, went all in. And it was one of those things that I'd done too little, too late, and that it didn't work out. But um, tried a couple of other different bits and pieces, had a frozen yogurt shop, which was incredibly successful um, for the first six months during the summer. Um, just didn't do enough to obviously winter our winters here are far too long. There yeah. are other ice cream businesses and frozen yogurt businesses here that that do money. It just wasn't doing anywhere near enough to entice me to want to have a business that only made money fifty percent of the time. Yeah. So, um, I got rid of it. We done the wee salad pop up, which to me was still the best product we've ever put out. Yeah, um, it was class. I absolutely loved it. It's maybe making a comeback this spring, um, and. To be honest, so fast forward, we went to done output 18 months ago. And what I'd done with output was I didn't tell anyone that output was me. And I didn't tell anybody that output was me because every time that I had tried to do anything else, so I tried to do the frozen yogurt place, I tried to do the pizza place, etc. Um, all I heard was, oh, your man from Slims is open. Oh, your boy from Slims is open that. And like we were getting deliveries to the pizza place. Like it was a, it was a full on blowing milkshake, cheese on pizzas, burgers, dirty fries. Everything. Yeah. I, I was opening it as a restaurateur and we were getting deliveries, Slims. And I was like, it's not fucking Slims. It's, it's got literally nothing to do with Slims. I couldn't be further away from it as a concept. Yeah. And, uh, and then people would go to me, oh, Slims have opened a pizza place. And I was like, no, Slims haven't opened a pizza place. <laughs> the guy that owns Slims has opened a pizza place as a businessman. And all those kind of stumbling blocks, everything that I'd done, I had kind of became, because Slims was so big, I yeah. kind of became synonymous with what we were doing as a food offer. Yeah, yeah. So you you, were the, you became the brand. I opened Output. Yeah, it became a brand. But whenever I opened Output, nobody knew it was me until about three months after it was open. Yeah. Um, I built the hype for it. We done it through Instagram. We done it through photography. Yeah. Um, now people didn't know it was me, and I done it at the time with a business partner, Rand. It didn't work out, but because I mean, we we built the whole thing, and I was we didn't really shit about it being me. And I done that because I didn't want people to just go oh, Slims to open the coffee shop. Yeah. And looking back, looking back, I'm really grateful that I didn't. Um, and I didn't associate myself with it because it has built up and people have really given it a, have given it a chance. And it's now a great wee shop. We've done our second one. We've done counting. Yeah. Um, which again is very similar to the output, just a different brand. And I've done a different brand because with Slims, I learned the, I learned both the good and the bad about owning a brand and yeah. the, good and the, brand, the good and the bad being that, you know, uh, with output and counting, they are by and large the same thing, slightly different offerings, et cetera, but the same back of, back of house, the same systems, the same procedures. Yeah, I just want somebody to come in and get their breakfast and if they like it, they like it and they leave. I didn't want somebody coming to me and complaining. Oh, I only got two slices of bacon in my bath and I was supposed to get three. I got three and I put on the Lisbon Road and why didn't I get three and I put on the armor Road and I'm like, did you enjoy breakfast? Because that's all that really matters. <laughs> yeah. So we don't, and now we still push for the same, we still push for the same consistency. Yeah. But it's just less of a problem. It means we have two brands to manage, but um, and we can take different kind of, to pardon me, different tones and identities for the brands. Yeah. So the we've done two speciality coffee two speciality coffee brands and we are about to open our third when we're actually going to open it. Fuck knows. <laughs> um, uh, you've been hinting at it for a while now. Once again, people don't probably haven't linked the brand and you. 
Have they done a new brand? No. Um, some people probably have just from me and my own personal Instagram. But yeah, um, we're doing it. We're doing a new specialty coffee shop in East Belfast called Morning Martha or Martha, as it's called. It's like Slim's Healthy Kitchen being called Slim's. We're we're calling this one Morning Martha, and it's basically flower shop comes coffee shop. So we're working with the we're working with the guys from Memento. Um, and they're going to do all the kind of plants and flowers and stuff. Not only as internal decor, but um, you'll be able. To, we've took over what was previously in a former life a flower shop. Yeah, so you're going to be able to come in, get a nice posy bunch of flowers or a cactus and a cup of coffee and some decent brunch. Um, it's a really kind of it's kind of a shit idea to open it in the current circumstances, but it's a really kind of really cool small space. Yeah, we've only got 16 seats in it. Um, I've spent an absolute fortune on it, but I think the venue is going to be really, really cool. Really happy with the design of it. Um, yeah, work with the designer on it, and really happy with the interior of it. Um, and it should be good. It's uh, output any person, any DJ I've brought uh, in the last eighteen months, probably uh, whatever I've brought output, and every one of them since they come back, like want to go there. Sunset Bros were pretty much told me, he goes, see this output thing, goes, if I open a coffee shop in Sydney, I'm fucking just taking that idea. Like they, everything from the menu, they're looking at it going, this is, like just, all the boxes are ticked. You know, all yeah. like, just even the small things, like the, the scotch egg and pancake, the pig out, the French toast bites, the, the coffee's, outrageously good and I know you put so much effort into getting the right coffee because you're you're a bit like myself and you've massively high standards and you're you can be cho you're choosy about things you know it's not like ah it's grand it'll it'll do it's more like no this has to be you know this has to be right and one thing I always notice about you because <clears throat> I've been all the time doesn't matter if I've been an output 200 times or canteen 200 times you'll always ask me what was the food like? What was the service like? Straight away. No. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I'll say to you is what you said about coffee. Um, we're we're using a coffee. It's a single origin speciality coffee. Um, it's not a known brand per se. But the reason that I'm using it over other ones is, is consistency. So absolutely, have I tasted better coffees than we sell in Output and Counting? Yes, I have. And... Um, what I like about Output and Canteen's coffee is I can get as close to as consistent a cup of coffee in it 12 months of the year. Yeah. Whereas with a lot of other places and a lot of places that have a different coffee customer, we were the first specialty coffee shop on the Lisburn Road. I already own a coffee shop on the Lisburn Road. Output is the first specialty coffee shop on the Lisburn Road. There's been a couple now followed, but customers... You know, there's a reason Cafe Nero is so big here. There's a reason Costa Coffee is so big here. Yeah. Um, the reason that people absolutely die over the Bristol bar and say it's a good cup of coffee. People in Northern Ireland like cups of coffee that are strong, dark, and black. Yeah. Um, so we're doing something. Uh, for me, the coffee and output is a bit more middle of the road. It's the coffee that I would have drank myself two, three years ago. My coffee tastes have moved on to yeah. what we currently sell and output. Um, sorry, I've moved on past that, but I know for our customers because we're still in a stage where we're introducing customers to specialty coffee. Um, so I absolutely know that you know there are better tasting coffees out there, and I'm, I'm saying that about my own brand. But what I like about the coffee that we serve is I know it's consistent, I know the guys in the bar, like I even have baristas coming to me now and going, You know, for the price we're paying for this, we can get a much better coffee. And I was like, Yes, we absolutely can, I know that, you know. That is your perception. Coffee is very much about taste. Um, yeah. So that's been a good thing. What you're saying there about the Sunset Bros, um, I've never been to Australia. I'd be quite happy to do it. So <laughs> if they want to just pay me a wee consultancy fee, uh, I'll get my brand and <laughs> take myself over. Yeah, I'll have to come with you. We'll, uh, we'll have to go out and scout, scout places. But that's actually, like Adriano was blown away by output. Like, and he is, he's Italian-Australian. And he, you know, he's a fucking choosy get. Like, he's the nightmare to bring out for food. Everywhere, there's wee issues. You know, small issues, just this fiery Italian in him. But when he goes to output, he's like, that's his home. Even as far as the music in the background. Like, it's yeah. just like, he's like, this vibe is fucking, 
No, he goes, all you need is the sun splitting the skies. And it's fucking, this could be down in Bondi or this could be up in Surrey Hills. You know, it's, it, I, and it does I give would, me that vibe. Uh, I would absolutely love to take output somewhere sunny. Uh, that's yeah. all I'll say on up for the minute. But it is a thought that's crossed my mind. And what you're saying on the playlist and things like that, it absolutely is. Like the playlist that we're playing, it really, really works in the store. It is, it, it's class. And it started off with the staff that were there originally. Um, and we built up a bit of a playlist. It's it's proper good. It's proper funky. You know, yeah. You, you're getting into you're getting in for a cup of coffee at eight o'clock in the morning. You shouldn't. Everything about it is is telling you it should be wrong. Like you should not be. Like we've such a diverse base of customers. You should not be getting in and listening to say dance music per se to, to categorize it at eight o'clock in the morning. But yeah. it works because of the dance music we're playing. You know. The, the trumpets, the sax, all the different sounds, all the different bits and pieces in yeah. the background, it all really, really works. And it makes you feel there's a, there's a good vibe comes through the place. And this is what I was saying about Canteen being different. Yeah, The playlist that we play and output doesn't work in Canteen. No. Um, it's my playlist. We've tried it. it. It doesn't work. It's a different vibe. It's a different customer. It's a different demographic. Albeit that it's the same uh, it's a very similar product. Yeah. It doesn't work. Um, we've just created a vibe with output that has really, really worked. Yeah, I because I use both. I use Canteen. I use Canteen for my walk coffee. So I'll walk through Ormo Park, walk up to Canteen, and then output if I'm over that side of town, I'll always get the output. And they are very different clientele. It would be like uh, alphas and betas, kind of. <laughs> it's like the yeah. ones in the Ormo yeah, Road are yeah. the more geeky ones, and the ones in the Lisburn Road are... The, the cooler cats I don't know it's really hard to explain but I definitely notice that when I'm when I'm kind of about it and then the canteen one's probably more culties because Ormo Road is and Ravenel's taken over by the culties now but it's uh, there's a lot of there's a re, there's a real professional crowd on Ormo Road there is yeah. a Lisburn Road too but that's not who we've marketed to yeah Lisburn Road we definitely marketed more to the younger generation it's more fun it's more pink it's more flowers it's more hip yeah um Ormo Road there's a lot of kind of professionals doctors nurses yeah. etc and for a long time was the up and coming BT9 um there's a lot of single people a lot of disposable income and yeah as you say there's a lot of culties to do they they just like good feed but um it, it works pretty well yeah it's definitely uh to be honest like i'm a fucking snob when it comes to coffee and i've always like when i get a good coffee a good place i would always say to you and, and canteen and and i put for me are always in my top top five in belfast if not well one's always i put i put i've never had a bad cup of coffee i've never had the, the my thing is people over the milk burning the milk or heating it up too much it just drives me yeah. mad. That's why I can't go to Nero. Nero, I don't know if they have a rule that they have to burn the mouthy. If that's a rule they have, yeah. so you have to leave a lasting effect for two weeks of a fucking blister on the top of their mouth. But that's just that's just me. And I think well, they speak. The success speaks for themselves. Like when lockdown lifted, when you could uh, when you could welcome people in in the one way system, like the queues, because people just wanted to get out and get that coffee. They wanted, you know, yeah. and even then when you done the retail, it was a fucking, it saved my life in lockdown one, um, like, like nothing else. This, this is a conversation that we had yesterday. We're, we're going to basically, retail's been massive for us. Like, I mean, even take away coffee, like I put pre-lockdown, pre-COVID, pre-lockdown, I put one of the sold 10 takeaway coffees in a day. Yeah. Um, to fast forward to, you know, I do four or 500 cups of takeaway coffee in a day. Um, yeah. It's insane. And retail is the same, you know, there's very little money in retail coffee. It's more kind of a, an added thing. It's a, a, to give a bit of authenticity to what you're doing. And, you know, there's the odd customer comes in and tastes the coffee once it wants to grab a bag or wants jumper, wants part of the brand, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, retail and home, home brewing has just obviously with lockdown, it's been massive because people want to leave the house left. Yeah. A lot of people, a lot of people are using coffee shops as an excuse to get out and, uh, I used to get a cup of coffee and everything, but uh, people are generally, you know, leaving the house a lot less. Um, I've drank more coffee in the last six months than I've ever drank. Um, filter, I was actually discussing this yesterday. I have no espresso machine at home because I enjoy getting out for yeah. 
a cup of co- a cup of coffee for the social aspect of it, be it the one of my own shops or just be it, you know, leaving the house in the morning, where I'm going and where I'm starting my day will depend on where I'm getting my morning cup of coffee, you yeah. know, which direction I'm taking. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm identical, but I and uh, same as you, you use the pour over or the, the filter for the house. Yeah, um, I'm the exact same, but uh, at the minute of egg in my face because I'm in the house uh, we're isolating and I haven't had a decent cup of I haven't had a decent flat white in weeks so I uh, I was I said to Kate last night I'm going to buy an espresso machine today um, uh, we, we, we've just moved uh, our head office for expanding our kitchen for the main plans for Slims and we've just moved the head office and we're in the new office which is absolutely class it's the first time I've actually really we've had offices before our office the last four or five years has been above the restaurant we were offside for a number of years but it was just never right and we've moved to an office now and the new office is class like it's proper sort of corporate headquarters you know glass box offices with i got desks made for it because i couldn't find desks that i liked them we got real nice engineered ply desks made the office is class but we only moved into it on christmas eve and uh, I haven't got a coffee machine in it yet. So I, I justified it. I used the excuse that I'm going to buy a coffee machine, a really good one for the house. We use it for a couple of weeks, and then when I get bored of it, I'll bring it to the office. Oh, hi. The Sage, uh, I'm, I keep going back to the Sage Espresso Express. Well, I was promised a Linea Mini, one of the wee Mini Morzacos, which yeah. is just a wee one group, and I want it. It's absolutely class. Uh, Phil Graham has told me countless times that he had sent me his. He's I sourced it for him originally a couple of years ago, and he kept telling me that he had sent me his because he was going to change it. And uh, he officially told me to fuck off. And he's not doing it. Um, I had another guy promising me one that he told me last week that it's away. Uh, somebody else had took it. Um, so I was looking at the stage myself, but I think if I buy a stage, I'm always going to want the Morzaco one, just even yeah. for the office for us because. Uh, we can, if, if I buy the Mazzocco one, we can use it for training and stuff in the head office, which I think would be really good. Uh, well, at least you're making up excuses to buy things <laughs> now instead of just doing the, the old slim thing where it's like, I want it. Oh, no, here, I, it's a thing called confirmational bath. Uh, uh, I justified them myself. That's how I do it. It's like when you wanted every color of uh, Nike fucking, what, it, what was the ones you went through? The blazers? Uh, well, I've, I've done it with them all. No, I've done it with the Blazers. I've done it with the, I can't, do you know what, the ones I'm talking about now, I absolutely hate it. They're like the soft ones. Yeah. The, I give, I ended up giving them all the Kev Gary, most of rugby. Um, he had the same size of feet up, I and I had pairs that I never wore. Uh, I'd done the same there with Metcons. Um, oh, yeah. And then I decided, I decided that I actually don't like training in Metcons, so my new <laughs> thing's now Nanos. Oh, the Nanos are class. Wider foot, wider foot, man. Same as myself. I will. I got an email there this morning. They they re-released or they've released the new one, which looks like the, the original nanos. Yeah, absolutely loved. I have a pair. I have a pair line at the front door that are um that are covered in mud, and I'm afraid they let go of them. They're I custom made them and designed them myself. They're grey and pink, and they have my initials on them, and I love them. But they're they must be ten. Yeah. But they, I got an email this morning with the new X One Nano, and it seems. They're simplifying it and come back to more the original. Yeah, they're doing the. the I watched a review on it uh, across the board. Other review yesterday that's like um, they want it to be the overall fitness shoe, um, but yeah. I don't know. I think the Nano X is will be hard to beat, just like the Metcons. But what about so the future? You talked about Marfa. What else is in the pipeline? So I think. Uh, I train flat out at Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. It's still shared out, it's still a white belt, but absolutely love it. It has consumed my life for the last couple of years. Um, really, really get into it. I really love it. And I love it from a, I want to say, a fitness perspective, um, mental health perspective, everything. It's really, really good. You, it's really hard to think of anything else, the stresses, the pressures of life. Uh, you can think of anything else as much as you want, but you end up getting choked. So it's really, really good. It's a really good distraction from from real life, and it is really hard to think or concentrate on something else when somebody has his hands wrapped around your throat trying to choke you. And um, and I love it. There's a there's an equality thing with it where no matter who you are, no matter how much money you earn, no matter how smart you think you are, how intellectual you are, anything else, you get on the map and there's somebody younger, fitter, faster, stronger, smarter that just kicks your ass and brings you back down to the ground. And that's no matter how many times or how good you think you are, there is always someone better. Yeah. And um, I absolutely love it. I became obsessed with it. 
So, long story short, the boys I'm training with are a really, really good group, group of guys. They, they're in no way entrepreneurial. There's, we've got four black belts. They're all uh, some of the highest ranked guys in the company, really, really good at what they do, but they've no, no commercial enterprise. They don't want to make money. They do, obviously, in their own lives, but not through jiu-jitsu. Jiu-jitsu for them is a passion. Um, and they've been involved in different things before and businesses before and stuff that uh, didn't work out and it took the love out of it for them. So they train at the minute or where we train is in a leisure center um, in Cardiff and it's a bit crap. They've, you've got such a high level of coaching, some of the best in the country and we're training in a community center and it just doesn't match up. And one of our friends of mine had actually said to me to go, go around to it. He's like, oh, you need to come around here. And I was like, I am not going to a community center to learn BJJ of some wing-up, thinking that it was going to be the boy teaching crowd Maga with rubber knives and fake guns and dolls and everything else. <laughs> it was like, there's not a chance. And then I went round in, it turned out I knew a lot of the guys there and it was class and their coaching was unreal and they just kind of fell into where they were. They'd split from the club they were with. So long story short, um, they've been for a couple of years wanting to take on their own space. But they don't want the hassles of running a business. They don't want to worry about who left the lights on, who mopped the floors, who done this. Is the insurance been paid? Is all this been done? And um, there's certain elements of it. Obviously, they still have to manage insurance and manage members, membership fees and stuff is what they're doing. But at the end of the day, they show up at five to seven, coach a class seven to ten. By quarter past ten, they're home in the house, shard, and that's it done. And there's no no business element to it. Yeah. Uh, they've got to remember to renew the insurance once a year and they love it. So they've wanted their own club but couldn't find a solution. So me being me, I'm training and I've seen this, I've seen the opportunity and I then went and approached them and said to them, look, lads, I want to open a gym. I think there's a market for a gym where I want to open a gym and I would really like it if you took some space off me as a, basically you'd rent the mat space off me. So instead of it being in the local community centre, you just have your own purpose-built space. It's your own space to call a club. It's your own space to call a home. And I will do exactly what the leisure centre is doing for you. Um, I'll give you a clean, safe place to train. I'll ensure the mats are changed or cleaned, everything else. Um, but what I'll do is I'll give you a far better facility. I'll give you a venue, nice change, maybe nice shower, nice whatever. And you also don't have to work around the leisure centre's timetable. I was like, yeah. if you pay me the same money that you're paying the leisure centre, um, it takes a bit of risk out of me from the gym. So I'm basically launching a concept called Verso Fitness, which is going to be bike row ski, um, which is going to be, we're doing studio based. So I'm taking what I've learned from nightclubs and all that kind of stuff and performance and production. And I'm going to do a room, uh, which is a completely immersive experience. So basically a black box um, with all the lights controlled, LED. We're going to use, I think we've settled on my zone technology. Yeah. And you start the class, there's going to be different formats to it, but basically it's like a cardio conditioning class. You go in, you've got bike, you've got road, you've got ski, and then we're going to do a small body with areas. You've got four stations. And the whole thing is around each individual training to their own their own levels, their own performance. Yeah. Um, using my zone to train within the heart rate technology. Or sorry, using heart rate technology to train within their own kind of fitness levels and their own zone and push it. So that's going to be the concept. It's going to be class-based, no memberships. So we're not trying to stay members from any other gym or yeah, I'm a member of a CrossFit gym. Um, I joined it during lockdown and then started training out wherever lockdown lifted. I still intend on being a member there. So yeah, to do it and use use this as the supplement to people's training. Um, yeah. And then we, we sort of started the leak bits and pieces of the, the promo videos. Um, some of the stuff we have planned for the studio is unbelievable. So the plan is uh, well, the original plan was we were going to do that first floor and then the jiu-jitsu on the ground floor. So 100 square meters, 98.9 square meters of mat space for jiu-jitsu. Um, the way things are at the minute and with planning, etc., I was put in planning to put the first floor in to get this space. Don't know whether or not it's going to work out um, with planning. They're coming back with a few queries, but long story short we are we're still going ahead with the whole thing regardless of covid because i think there's i think health is, i think covid has brought health into people's minds more yeah. than anything um we're just going to need to work out a bit more how that studio works and how it looks uh, along with the bj i guess but that's the plan so within the next couple of months uh, sorry hopefully within the next couple of weeks once we get north open the the builders that are doing north at the minute they're almost finished a refurb so once they're finished, they're going to move on to the gym. Um, or we're going to really ramp up the PR and get it moving. 
Serious, serious work. Um, you never stop. That's the one thing I'll give you. You know, it's always been, well, it's, your work ethic's always been there from back in the day where you were fueling yourself purely on Red Bull to now you have a family, multiple businesses. Um, I know you said to me a couple of weeks ago that you've you've taken, <clears throat> no, you've actually learned to give control to other people slightly more because at the start you were all like hands on every single aspect. I think that's, you know, that's a de- it's definitely a good thing, but it's also, you know, you probably learned to, you, know, you have to put your trust in your employees more and your, your management teams. Um, and yeah, now with I the mean, gym. I'm a lot more confident in the systems we have and been able to do that. Yeah. Um, I'm a lot more confident than some of the people that we have around us. And um, I've changed in how I make decisions. I've changed, as you said earlier, if I wanted something I used to bad and not have to justify to myself. Not even necessarily how I justify things, but there's different reasons and different motiv- pardon me, different motivators now for doing things. Um, the like my whole thing has changed, and I like probably like everybody. COVID has you know shown me that I don't need to spend as long in work, and I don't need to spend as you know as long at the house and away from the kids and and everything else. Um, the one thing I'll say is that I still need to do the same amount. I still want to drive the business forward. What I need to do is I just need to be more productive with my hours in the day. Yeah. Whereas, you know, I, I was leaving the house before getting up, training with the mates at the house at, say, 6 a.m., um, shower change, food, into work at half seven. Um, and, you know, avoiding the school room, getting to work early, um, spending all day, and then not coming home at half six at night. And then I was getting out of and training at seven o'clock. Yeah. So, you know, I was, seeing the kid, I was seeing the kids 30 minutes a day. I absolutely still want to go to work. I still want to be as productive as I can. I still want to be able to go to seven o'clock and train. But, you know, COVID for, for many reasons has, has changed things. It's made me realize, you know, I can pick the kids up at school at four o'clock. You know, I can go into work a bit later. I can, you know, do the school run and do that. And yeah. They're all the small things. They're the things that will inevitably, you know, help my marriage and help happiness in the house and all those kind of things. Oh, good, sure. Gary, it's been great having you on. Um, suppose... If people want to find you, Lisburn Road, Belmont Road for Slims, Lisburn Road for Output as well, um, you're online, you have everything online. Um, I think uh, I'm excited to see this gym and I'm excited to see the next, I'm excited to see Martha too. Um, I don't actually know where it is. You haven't told me that yet, so I'm a bit raging with that, but... Um, I will. I'll tell you what's going. I'll tell. We're going to release it actually in the next week or two. But I'll tell you. I'll, I'll tell you off the anyway. Um. But yeah, if people want to find out more, I suppose just get on your website. You've you've the meal plans there too, which are, you know, they're uh they're based on their own. Um. I suppose. Um, meal meal plans are something which are completely mental, and that's why we moved office there. We're expanding the kitchen. We we're struggling to cope with the numbers that we have with the space that we have at the minute, and um, so we're doubling our kitchen space. Um, we're also going to be starting in the delivery. We played with it last year, but we're we're going to be starting fully in the delivery, um, using a third party for delivery rather than doing our own fulfillment of it. Um, because at the minute, the numbers that we're doing are absolutely insane, and that's what people come to us. But people actually having to leave the house and come and collect. Yeah. So within within the next few weeks, we're going to be able to offer people the convenience that we'll deliver to their doorstep anywhere in the UK and Ireland. Um, potentially Europe too. I don't know who would want it, but potentially the the whole of Europe. And I think for us, that's just going to be uh, it's going to be colossal. So there's a couple other exciting things in the pipeline with meal plans as well, but. It's very, very hard to go away from what we're doing because it's working so well. Yeah. I do think there's growth in other areas that we're going to expand into. So um, we're going to do that. The My website with all of our brands on it is our kind of parent company is followleisure.co.uk. Um, within the next two to three weeks, we're working on a rebrand of the site as well. The follow doesn't really do anything except act as a parent company for all the kind of staff. And yeah. It's one umbrella brand. But um I, I've been working for the last few months. I want to follow to basically, I want to follow website to be a bit of a business card and a bit of a, bit of a CV for me and the businesses and what we do. Um, because uh, like I've been chatting to a few people recently and I think we've just spent, we've got to the point now they're talking about what I do. And 
it's such a busy life and so much going on. It's very, very hard for a lot of people to actually, you know, understand and comprehend, you know, how much stuff I do, you know, yeah. from when you say meal plans, there's a lot of people doing them in their house in the kitchen. That's not us, you know. No. We have a full blown, full blown production unit doing 7,000 individual units and meals a week, you know. We've now got four or five restaurants, uh, all different brands, specialty coffee, moving into gym space. There's quite a lot going on. It's quite a busy space. So the follow leisure.co.uk is going to become a bit of a, a portfolio of everything that we're doing and a bit of a synopsis of each individual thing. So it's not something that's going to generate us any money uh, by redoing the brand. It's just something that I want to do to have it clear and have the identity there, you know, any of the partners or agents that we're working with. Yeah. I don't know what we're doing, what I'm doing. Um, I don't have to repeat myself every time and no, I, got it there. It's a bit of a portfolio. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's fucking amazing what you're doing. It's amazing how far you've come from the guy doing, the, as you said, the guy doing the student nights, the guy DJing that, you know, I think it's just, it's fucking unreal. Um, and I think everybody that knows your story is just in awe of everything. So, all right, cheers for coming on. Um, I know our guys are going to check you out. I know, I know fucking, to be honest, I know anybody that's listened to our podcast that's health-minded, I would say 100% of them have already eaten in Slim's. Um, so guys, get out and check out output. It's just down the street. Um, it's it's fucking amazing. I don't. Uh, it won't fit into your macros, but it's uh, it's class stuff. But Gary, cheers for coming on. Uh, you can you can, have, you can have a black coffee. It'll fit your macros. <laughs> Maybe thanks so much for having me on. And uh, I think Tony McKelvey will listen to this, but I look forward to meeting the the five foot two bodybuilder. <laughs> cheers. Man.